Well, good day to you. How's everybody doing today? Well, right. Wow. Somebody's doing good over here. Amen. Well, uh, it's good to be with all of you today. And uh, if you're a first-time guest, we're excited that you're joining us today as well. Uh, We have been in a sermon series since the fall called Rescued and uh, through the book of Exodus. And so today we're going to be looking at Exodus 15. But my name is Cody Raglan, and I'm the Connections Pastor here. And if I haven't met you, I'd love to meet you maybe after the service if there's time. So, But before we dive into the sermon, I'd just like to take a minute and just pray for us. Can we do that together? <clears throat> God, uh, we're just grateful, Father, for the time that we have to come here to worship you, to give you praise, to give you honor, to give you glory, God. And so, Lord, I just pray that you would use me, Lord, in this sermon to speak to the people that you have assembled here together. God, I ask, Holy Spirit, that you would just open the hearts and the minds of the people, God, that, God, that they would hear your truth, Lord, and nothing else. And Lord, we know that we're not the only church in Bella Vista, so we want to specifically today, we want to pray over the Bella Vista Baptist Church, God. God, that you would just touch their pastor over there, touch their their ministries and what they're doing to reach out to the community here in Bella Vista. We pray for blessings over them. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, if you have your Bibles, like I said, we're going to be in Exodus 15. If you want to turn there, we're going to be going through... Uh, that today, all of chapter 15. Uh, you might remember from last week, Pastor Joe got us through the Red Sea. Anybody remember that? Yeah? Uh, Pastor Joe referenced last week uh, that this is one of the most miraculous stories in all the Bible, and I would have to agree with him. Uh, and for good reason, right? Because of the severity of what happened. I mean, we're talking about a whole nation of people. Over a million people walked across the sea on dry ground. Just a little bit later, 600 of Pharaoh's most well-fashioned men. I always think of 300, the movie 300. I kind of imagine that's probably what these guys looked like a little bit. Uh, And all of them were drowned in the sea by God. And you might be thinking, that's pretty dramatic. And you would be right. It is very dramatic. Um, I don't even know if that word even describes it, but it's the best one I've got to describe it. But everything that Moses and the children of Israel have went through up to this point um, is really a culmination here in chapter 15, right? Uh, To this climatic end on the seashore of the Red Sea. So let's just take a moment and just read this. I'm going to read it for us, starting in verse 1 of 15. Then Moses and the Israelites sang this song to the Lord. I will sing to the Lord, for he has highly exalted the horse and its rider. He has hurled into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. He is my God, and I will praise him. My Father's God, and I will exalt him. The Lord is a warrior. The Lord is his name. Pharaoh's chariots and his army he has hurled into the sea. The best of Pharaoh's officers are drowned in the Red Sea. The deep waters have covered them. They sank to the depths like a stone. 
Your right hand, O Lord, was majestic in power. Your right hand, O Lord, shattered the enemy. In the greatness of your majesty, you threw down those who opposed you. You unleashed your burning anger. It consumed them like stubble. By the blast of your nostrils, the waters piled up. The surging waters stood firm like a wall. The deep waters congealed in the heart of the sea. The enemy boasted, I will pursue. I will overtake them. I will divide the spoils. I will gorge myself on them. I will draw my sword and my hand will destroy them. But you blew with your breath and the sea covered them. They sank like lead in the mighty waters. Who among the gods is like you, O Lord? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glory, working wonders? You stretched out your right hand and the earth swallowed them. In your unfailing love, you will lead the people you have redeemed. In your strength, you will guide them to your holy dwelling. The nations will hear and tremble Anguish will grip the people of Philistia. The chiefs of Edom will be terrified. The leaders of Moab will be seized with trembling. The people of Canaan will melt away. Terror and dread will fall upon them. By the power of your arm, they will be as still as a stone. Until your people pass by, O Lord, until your people pass by, You will bring them in and plant them on the mountain of your inheritance, the place, O Lord, you have made for your dwelling. The sanctuary, O Lord, your hands established. The Lord will reign forever and ever. When Pharaoh's horses, chariots, and horsemen went into the sea, the Lord brought the waters of the sea back over them. But the Israelites walked through the sea on dry ground. Then Miriam, the prophetess, Aaron's sister, took a tambourine in her hand and all the women followed her with the tambourines and dancing. Miriam sang to them, sing to the Lord for he is highly exalted. The horse and its rider he is hurled into the sea. Then Moses led Israel from the Red Sea and they went into the desert of Shur. For three days they traveled in the desert without finding water. When they came to Marah, they could not drink its water because it was bitter. That's why they called the place Marah. So the people grumbled against Moses saying, what are we to drink? Then Moses cried out <clears throat> to the Lord and the Lord showed him a piece of wood, threw it into the water and the water became sweet. There the Lord made a decree and a law for them and there he tested them He said, if you listen carefully to the voice of the Lord your God and do what is right in his eyes, if you pay attention to his commands and keep all his decrees, I will not bring on you any of the diseases I brought on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord who heals you. Then they came to Elam, where there were 12 springs and 70 palm trees, and they camped there near the water. In the, store, in the fall of 1943, an American sailor by the name of Gareth Whitaker was a crew member on a landing craft located in the Pacific Islands. And Whitaker's ship was hit by Japanese mortars. He said that shrapnel hit the steel hull with, uh, with such a momentous thought that he thought he was probably gonna die. 
and he even thought uh, everyone on board would probably die if it was a direct hit on, that hit the boat. But Whitaker said he didn't fear death because he felt God speak to him. He sensed God say to him, I'm sparing you and all of your shipmates because your father is conducting family worship at home and praying for you at this time. Later, Whitaker confirmed that the time of the attack was also the time his family was performing family worship time and praying for him. Praise is a powerful force. It's intended to lift our hearts and our affections heavenly toward God. Uh, pastor of the 1800s, Charles Spurgeon, once said, Praise is the rehearsal of our eternal song. By grace we learn to sing, and in glory we continue to sing. See, praise can often come after seeing or experiencing God do something great and wonderful in our own life. But praise is not bound to time or space. It affects both physical as well as the spiritual world. Praise even may alter a situation like the story that we just heard about Gareth Whitaker. Praise may be only the only way to even process a situation. And for the children of Israel, who had just come through this dramatic Red Sea experience, I believe that was what was happening for them. Their pray, they, had, they had to have praise to help express how they were feeling and what they just had experienced. So in our brief time today, as we unpack chapter 15, I want us to do it with this thought in mind. God's great power deserves our grateful praise. That God's great power deserves our grateful praise. Which leads me to my first point. Praise God for what he's done. Let's take a look at chapter 14, verse 31 through 15 too. And when the Israelites saw the mighty hand of the Lord displayed against the Egyptians, the people feared the Lord and put their trust in him and in Moses, his servant. <clears throat> then Moses and the Israelites sang this song to the Lord. I will sing to the Lord for he is highly exalted. Both horse and driver he is hurled into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my defense. He has become my salvation. He is my God and I will praise him, my father's God, and I will exalt him. See, chapter 15, one through two, or one through 21 is, a, is, a, is really a song of praise that was sung after this dramatic Red Sea crossing. And notice how the Israelites saw God and what he could do. And, and, and they notice in, in, 30, in, 30, or in, in 31 of verse 14, they put their faith and trust in God, but also in Moses. And then we get to verse one of chapter 15, that Moses and the Israelites begin to then sing this song to the Lord, this miraculous experience that, that could, could not be met any other way but then by just praising the Lord. But if you had been in our sermon series since the fall, you probably have noticed a stark contrast from earlier chapters in Exodus where there was no joyful singing, right? There were no shouts of praise. Instead, the text told us that, that they were sighing and they were crying because of their bondage in Egypt. But the sighing and the crying of bondage has been replaced with great shouts of personal praise unto the Lord. 
For he alone, friends, deserves our praise and glory. Amen? Listen to these phrases in verses 1 and 2 of chapter 15. I will sing to the Lord. The Lord is my strength and my defense. He has become my salvation. He is my God. I will praise him, my Father's God. I will exalt him. Is this personal language? It is, isn't it? God had truly become personal and real to them. No longer was he just the God of their fathers, but now he was, the text says, my God. My God. And this is an important point for all of us. There has to be a time in our relationship with God where it can no longer, we can no longer hold on to the faith of our parents or the, or the faith of our spouse. We've got to make this our God, right? He has to become my God personally. You personally have to have a relationship with God. See, praise unto God requires that you have a personal relationship with him. So the question has to be raised. Where is your relationship with God today? Has God become personal and real to you? For the Israelites, God had become their strength and their defense and salvation. Other translations use the phrase in verse 2, The Lord is my strength and my song. Some commentators suggest the idea is the Lord is the theme of my song or the reason for my song. To really say the Lord is my strength and my song is to say that no one else could do this. No one else could have done this except for the Lord. If it had not been for the divine hand of God on their lives, on the Israelites' lives, then the Egyptians would have taken, overtaken them and destroyed them. Because let's listen to what verse 9 says. The enemy boasted, I will pursue, I will overtake them, I will divide the spoils, I will gorge myself on them, I will draw my sword, and my hand will destroy them. Do you think Pharaoh's coming to have tea? No. I've been watching too much British shows lately. He's not coming to have tea. He's coming to kill them. But God was going to have none of it, friends. Verse 3 describes God as a warrior. And the imagery here of God as a warrior, it's meant to be comforting language to the children of Israel. But it also should be comforting language for us today because it depicts God fighting for us. See, just like he fought for the children of Israel, God is willing and capable of fighting for you today. Can you remember a time in your past where God fought for you? I would encourage you to praise God for that. As I was preparing for this sermon, a, a, a battle that God fought for me came to my mind. Uh, believe it or not, I did play basketball in high school. Um, and in the 11th grade, I broke my back playing basketball. And uh, after many doctor's visits and consultations with different physicians, I was told 
I would never play basketball again, actually, uh, or really any physical sport because of what had been done. Uh, that pretty much my time of playing basketball was over. But I'm, I'm a little hard-headed. And I personally believe God was bigger than a doctor's prognosis. My senior year, I played basketball. Amen. Amen. Truly, God is bigger than a doctor's prognosis. When it, when it truly looks like things are at their worst or it doesn't look like there's a chance, God is still on the throne fighting for us. Therefore, his great power deserves our grateful praise. We can praise God for his ability to defend and save us. So what battle are you fighting today? Have you asked God for help? How you, do you rem, have you asked God to, or have you remembered how God fought for you in the past? Let yesterday's victories be the spark that ignites the flame of eternal praise for you today. Perhaps this week in your personal time with the Lord, think about the ways God has been there for you in the past and write them down and praise God for them. Secondly, God's great power deserves our grateful praise for what he will do in the future. This next section of verses is looking forward to what the Lord's going to do in the future. And verse 13 declares, In your unfailing love, you will lead the people you have redeemed. In your strength, you will guide them to your holy dwelling. See, this is a picture of God's unfailing love. And it's this idea of God's covenant commitment to his people. And I know the power of commitment does not have the same weight that it used to, right? And, and I'm a big college football fan, okay? And I love the Razorbacks. And I like to keep up with recruiting. I know it's dumb, but I do. And when certain, and there's certain high school players that will commit to your, to your Razorbacks, right? But to only decommit the day before signing day. And go somewhere else. And it pains me, like Texas A&M, where my wife went. <laughs> and usually it's for all sorts of reasons, right? I mean, for more money at different schools. Or they think they're going to win more games at some other school. Or maybe there's a better offer they think is out there. But, but church family, praise the Lord that God does not treat us this way. Amen. And for the Israelites, he's saying, I love you with this unfailing love. I'm not going to leave you for a better offer. I'm not going to switch sides to the Egyptians because they're stronger and mightier than you guys or because they offered me more money. See, God is willing to love the Israelites in spite of themselves. He's truthful. He's reliable. And just like the children of Israel, we too can rely on the love of God. We can rely that he's not going to change. The Lord said in Jeremiah 31, three, the Lord appeared to us in the past saying, I have loved you with an everlasting love. I have drawn you with an unfailing kindness. This loving kindness of God, this committed love, this everlasting love that, that God has for the children of Israel. It's not going to fail. It's not some finicky love. 
That's why they can praise God for what he will do in the future because he loves them faithfully and they know it. And the nation of Israel sings with confidence that God is committed to making sure that they reach the promised land. That he will lead them one day, as the scripture says, to his holy dwelling. Which is really, it's prophetic in nature. It's describing a time, just a couple of hundred years later, when the temple will be built in the hill country. Which in the time of Exodus 15, is actually occupied by the Canaanites. But a couple of hundred years later, King Solomon will build God an adequate, holy dwelling place in the city of Jerusalem. Their praise for the future, friends, is couched in their understanding of God's love for them and what God has done uh, in the past they, they know that God's going to be with them in the future. Notice how the Israelites sing about their neighboring nations that they're going to have to conquer post the Red Sea experience. Verse 14 says, The nations will hear and tremble. Anguish will grip the people of Philistia. The chiefs of Edom will be terrified. The leaders of Moab will be seized with trembling. The people of Canaan will be, melt away. Terror and dread will fall on them. By the power of your arm, they will be as still as a stone until your people pass by, Lord, until the people you bought pass by. See, the nations are described as trembling. Anguish has gripped the hearts of the nation of Philistia, which is really interesting because in the, in the chapter 13 uh, and verse 17, we read this, when Pharaoh let the people go, God did not lead them on the road through the Philistine country, though that was shorter. For God said if they face war, they might change their minds and return to Egypt. Now, just two chapters later, the Israelites seem pretty confident on their ability to fight the Philistines and what the outcome's gonna be. So what's your mental state as you look toward your future today? Are you looking at the future with fear? Are you, or are you facing the future with, God, with the knowledge of God's loving kindness is with you because of what he's already done in your past? And as I think about us as a church and where we're headed in this year of 2023, as a practical illustration even, I just want to take a moment and just praise God for what he's going to do in the future of our church. So you can join me. God, I want to thank you that you're opening this second campus. God, I thank you for all the people who are going to come to know you by way of this second campus. For all the people who will be saved, set free and delivered in Jesus' name. That generation after generation will call you their Lord and Savior. God, I thank you for all the leaders and volunteers that you're gonna raise up for out there. God, I praise you that you're gonna provide the funds to pay off this debt in rapid time. I praise you, God, because you are bigger than any obstacle that might be coming against this church. Help us to look to you because, God, your great power deserves our grateful praise. Amen. Thanks for praying. Let's believe it, church. Amen. 
Let's praise God for what he's going to do. And I would encourage you to write down some things this week that's on your heart that maybe God is percolating in you and perhaps God has, has been speaking to you about. As an act of faith, praise God for them. Go ahead. And thirdly, God's great power de deserves our grateful praise. Therefore, let's praise God rather than grumble. Amen. <laughs> Uh, let's take a look, starting in verse 22. Then Moses led Israel from the Red Sea, and they went into the desert of Shur. For three days they traveled in the desert without finding water. When they came to, to Merah, they could not drink its water because it was bitter. That's why they called the place Merah. So the people grumbled against Moses, saying, What are we to drink? This is a fascinating passage of Scripture. For 21 verses we've had the opportunity and privilege to experience the praise that the Israelites were showering on God and how great he is and wonderful and they were singing and dancing. Now, just three days later, they've been removed from the Red Sea shore, praise and worship time, and now they're grumbling. Not three weeks, not three years or 300 years, three days Three days, and now they're in this grumbling state. See, what was once all glory to God has shifted to what they're now lacking, which is typical of people. When our focus and attention shifts from God who lacks nothing to what we lack, we can forget about praising God and turn to grumbling. See, let's face it, we can be finicky people, can't we? Our environment can hold a lot of weight for how we're going to do something that day and how we're going to feel about it. And for the Israelites, the environment has changed. And verse 23 says that the water was bitter, which was probably a reminder to them of their time in Egypt, a time that was bitter for them. But what a roller coaster of emotions and experiences they've been on. I mean, you know, three, three days ago, they were singing hallelujah and praising to God with the top of their lungs and Three days later, they're grumbling in the desert. I believe it's important to point out that on the journey with God, it's never a straight path, is it? Life's gonna be filled with hurdles and challenges. It's gonna test us. But friends, we don't have to allow the struggles and trials of life to make you bitter. We should have really the mindset of, of Willie Myrick. There's a story told of a little boy named Willie Myrick who was actually abducted from the front yard of his home. The boy, for whatever reason, decided to sing a song that he had heard a lot of times at church called Every Praise. And Myrick said <clears throat> that the kidnapper kept telling him, be quiet, be quiet. But Myrick kept singing the, song, the same song, Every Praise, over and over and over again for three hours. And eventually the kidnapper, he just couldn't take it anymore. He said, forget it, forget it. And he dropped the kid off, ultimately sparing the kid's life, amen. See, Willie Myrick didn't let his situation dictate his praise. He was willing to praise God despite his situation. See, his praise not only affected him, but also his kidnapper. Yes. 
ultimately his praising God brought forth his release from bondage. Perhaps his praise was birthed out of fear. But like Willie Myrick, we too should, should not let our situation dictate our praise. We should let our praise gush forth like a geyser, amen? <laughs> because bitterness never just affects us. It affects others around us. And I would encourage you, if you're struggling with bitterness, I would, I would encourage you to bring it to the Lord. See, we see here that Moses cried out on behalf of the people to the Lord. And God showed him a piece of wood and told him to, to go down to the pool of bitterness and throw it in there. And what happened, it became sweet. And I love the imagery of the water becoming sweet because it's a picture really of God's grace. When we cry out to the, to the Lord and give him our bitterness, he will take our bitterness and exchange it for his sweetness. Grumbling only makes things bitter, but God's goodness brings a sweetness to life. And a thirsting soul is satisfied in Christ. And in the New Testament, in John chapter four, we see a thirsty Samaritan woman who was probably pretty bitter, who encountered Christ. And notice what Jesus says to her in verse 13. Jesus answered, everyone who drinks the water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Is bitterness consuming you today? Have you drank from the well that produces eternal life? Jesus is the answer to our bitterness, isn't he? Today, friends, let's praise God because his great power has the ability to turn our bitterness into sweet praise. And finally, God's great power deserves our grateful praise. Therefore, praise God for he provides a way. Let's pick up middle way of verse 25. There the Lord issued a ruling and instruction for them and put them to the test. He said, if you listen carefully to the Lord, your God, and do what is right in his eyes, if you pay attention to his commands and keep all his decrees, I will not bring on you any of the diseases I brought on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord who heals you. Then they came to Elam, where there were 12 springs and 70 palm trees, and they camped there near the water. It seems to me that God is probably issuing really a, a pre-delivering of the Ten Commandments. Now, I don't know that for sure. That's just my interpretation of how I'm reading the text. And God is telling Moses what his expectations are for the children of Israel, though. See, throughout chapter 15, God has been depicted, and we've read it already, about his majesticness and holiness, his awesomeness and glory. He's shown to be far greater than any of the gods uh, of Egypt and, and even God, uh, uh, Pharaoh, or all of them. And being a holy God, he expects holiness and righteousness to be a standard. There's no other way. And it has to be his standard. It can't be human standard. It can't be what the New York Times says is the standard. 
it has to be his standard. Because, and also because he knows what's best for them. And he loves them enough to tell them what he requires of them. But here lies the hinge point. This is the hinge point right here. He knows they won't be able to keep it. They will not be able to keep his standard of holiness and righteousness. And you may ask, well, why would they not be able to do it? Because they're like us. They're sinners. None of us are able to keep God's law perfectly. Ephesians 2 tells us that we were dead in our sins and transgressions. See, God's justice requires that humans pay an atonement for their sin. The problem is that we can't atone for our sin. That's why we needed a rescuer. That's why we needed a savior. That's why we needed Jesus Christ. That's why he came. See, if you and I are honest, we're not much different than the Israelites. For most of us on a Saturday night or Sunday morning, we love to come to church and praise God and give God glory. But by Wednesday, we've started to complain again. Or we've lost our focus of listening carefully to the Lord or, or doing what is right in his eyes and keeping all his decrees. The result many times is we've failed to run toward God. Oftentimes out of shame and guilt, we run and we want to hide from God and, and try to muster ourselves up and make atonement for ourselves in our own strength. We long to be accepted by God, but we struggle to truly accept his forgiveness, his grace in our lives. The truth is, if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, you are already holy. Because of what Christ has already done. Not because of what we can do for him. We oftentimes, we fail to see what the cross of Christ actually provided for us. That Jesus had already atoned for our sins on the cross. God provided a way for us. God's abundant grace is available for us even today. I'm not saying we don't live a righteous and holy life. We do, we should. We've been called to. But we do it out of love for God and dependence on his abundant care and provision and grace to live this life for Christ. And Elam is the picture of God's abundant grace and provision that's waiting for us. He went before them, friends. Everything that they lacked at Merah is found at Elam. The 70 palm trees indicate a permanent supply of water was there, which signifies God's abundant grace to take care of them. See, God lacked nothing in his provision for them. 
And friends, today, he lacks nothing in his provision for you either. It's available for you today. You just have to receive it. Because God has already provided the way. So let's praise him because his great power deserves our grateful praise. Amen. If you've never experienced this eternal life, this salvation that's only found in Christ, I would invite you to receive it today. Ask Christ to come in and become the Lord of your life. Ask him to forgive you of your sins and trespasses. Don't let this opportunity pass by. And if this does and is happening for you today, please tell someone. Perhaps the person you came with or someone out in the atrium or a staff member, because we'd love to connect with you and figure out how to best help you moving forward. So as we wrap up here today, a couple things to take with you. Number one, look back and praise God for what he's already done. Secondly, remember to praise God with the conviction that God's loving kindness is with you and he will be with you in the future as well. Thirdly, remember to not let situations dictate your praise. Ask God to give you a heart of praise toward him over grumbling. And lastly, praise God for he provides a way for us. Because truly, friends, God's great power deserves our grateful praise. Let us pray. God, we're grateful. We're grateful for what you have done. We're also grateful for what you're gonna do in the future, Lord. And Lord, for the people here assembled, God, and those watching online, God, I pray that you would speak to them even today. God, that you would help them to look back, to, to think about what you've done, God, and, 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 and maybe then just with an act of faith, pray for things in their future. Lord, we pray, God, that you would give us a heart of praise, that it would spring forth like a geyser even today. In Christ's name, amen.